Pastor Scott and lead pastor of the river. And really glad that you're checking out our uh, online podcast and our services and hope that you are blessed by this. Certainly, if you have any questions, if you're wondering about stuff that goes on here or maybe you're checking out our website more and seeing things that you uh, are wondering whether or not you might want to participate in them, feel free. Contact us in the office. Give us a call. Send us an email. Um, we'd love to hear from you. love to answer any questions that you have. Uh, we hope that you are blessed by what you hear on, on this podcast. We hope that God's Word continues to have power in your life. And we pray that uh, God makes himself known, that you know how much he truly, truly, truly loves you. Thanks for checking us out and uh, enjoy the service. Uh, This morning, we're going to continue our series uh, from the book of Romans, Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 36. Um, If you know your book of Romans at all, you know that in here we have one of the great doxologies in all of Scripture where God reminds us of who he is and how great he is. And we'll certainly get there this morning, but there's also a lot of challenging teaching this morning about the place of the Jews in God's plan. And um, certainly as I spent time in my study this week, there were some new thoughts and new ideas for me and um, some things that I'm just sort of wondering about. And um, please, uh, in light of this morning's message, if you go home with questions or you go home with wonderings, please feel free to... um, you know, let's pose those questions. Let's dialogue around them. And uh, you can certainly get my email off of the website and, and would love to just interact with you around some of these things because I, I think they're important for us to remember just how uh, the greatness of God surpasses our understanding. And that's really the purpose in this morning's message is that we understand God's greatness even more as, as uh, Beth was leading us into with worship. As we gather around God's word, let's pray for God's blessing and presence on our time. God, you are good. We are grateful for your goodness. And we are mindful of our need for you, especially when we hear all these stories of people walking through challenges. We think of Steve and Marilyn and Sandy, and John, and we think of others who are in mourning or walking through the challenges of the end of life, and we pray, um, Father, that you just meet us in those places, and Lord, give us understanding if that need be, and if it is instead that you give us comfort simply in your presence, love, and grace, that we um, are content with that and understand that that is enough to get through the challenges. We also rejoice, Lord, in the joys of life that you give to us as even we think of those who are walking through graduations and all that other sort of stuff in the next couple weeks. We think of Jonathan and Hannah as they celebrated um, their new life together. We give you praise for that. And we think of others, Lord, who anticipate new babies. It just seems like, Lord, we've known that blessing in a powerful way. We ask, Father, that you meet us regardless of circumstances, that we know um, your presence in the joy, and we also know your presence in the trial, that, Lord, in your presence, uh, it is sufficient. Uh, We have received enough from you when you are with us and when you show your love and your grace to us. We ask this morning, as we gather around your word, that you might open it up to our hearts and minds. We might be challenged by it. We might be reminded of your greatness. 
And Lord, that ultimately there will always be mysteries when we stand in relationship with you. There will always be things that truly are beyond us, beyond our capacity, beyond our understanding. And Lord, that's okay, because when we are in relationship with you, truly, you are enough. We pray these things all in the name of Jesus. Amen. From the book of Romans, chapter 11, beginning at verse 25. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, and that's how Paul is introducing this section of the text, and I think it's appropriate that he uses the word mystery, mysterios in Greek, that sort of, uh, and there's lots of different meanings for mystery in the original Greek, but he's opening up sort of new thoughts, new challenging ideas for us and for the Roman Christians to struggle with. So thus how he has introduced this. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. Israel certainly being the Jews. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Just as you, who were at one time disobedient to God, have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. And then the great doxology. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him, are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A couple of years ago, um, as a result of going to a fundraising auction, I ended up sort of falling into some tickets to an LA Galaxy game. Four tickets. And more or less, I got them for $25 a piece. And if you know my family, you know we are a soccer family and enjoy stuff like this. And this game that we were going to go to was a special game because it was Landon Donovan's return game after having been away from the Galaxy for injury for a period of time. They were also playing the Houston Dynamo, and the Houston Dynamo is the team that they had beaten the year before for the um, MLS Cup. So it was sort of a special game, and we were looking forward to going. So I, I uh, made reservations or, or did some ticket stuff with the Galaxy, and um, 
the guy that I was talking to on the phone said to me, you'll get a confirmation email and then you can come and pick up your tickets at will call. It was, that was about maybe a month and a half before the game. Uh, but three days before the game, I still didn't have an email and I still hadn't heard from this guy. So I called up this guy again and I said, hey, uh, just wondering, do I still have tickets? I didn't get a confirmation email. And he quick pulled up my whatever reservation on his computer and he said, oh no, we've messed up. So sorry. I'll definitely upgrade your tickets and I'll give you two extra um, for the game. And so you'll at least be compensated a little bit, which was sort of neat because then it meant that both of my children who live at home could take a friend along. So I got the email within maybe about a half an hour, and I opened the email, and I saw the tickets. Now, if you know anything about tickets, you know that row number is important. And usually, because I am who I am, and a cheap person, my row tickets are usually like triple Z, you know? Like, we've actually been to a Clipper game where I could lean up against the back wall of the stadium. It's that bad sometimes. Well, these tickets were row B. And not only were they row B, but the section that they were in was the 30-yard line of the field, which is more or less right in the middle of everything. And so we go to the game, and perfectly enough, it's also Landon Donovan bobblehead night. We pick up our bobbleheads, and we go to our seats, and I got to tell you, it was quite an experience. It was an amazing experience because we were literally about 20 feet from the sideline of the field, right at field level, right in the middle of it, so we could see everything. At one point during the game when the ball came out of play, Landon Donovan was standing about 12 feet from my son, and he was giddy with delight. It was spectacular, but it was certainly undeserved. I had purchased these tickets for $25 a piece. And when I looked at the tickets themselves, when we picked them up, the face value was $85 a ticket. And I had six of them. For $100, I got something way more than I deserved. It was completely disproportionate to what it is that I should have received. As a result of this man's mistake... I got something, in my mind at least, spectacular. In our text this morning, Paul is introducing that idea on a much larger scale. Because what he's introducing is that the Jews have made the great mistake. And as a result of them making the great mistake, that the Gentiles the Roman Christians that Paul is writing to, and us have received something that we certainly didn't deserve. Because of the foolishness of the Jews, we have the greatest gift that we could ever imagine. Let's dig into the text, beginning at verse 25. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them. 
when I take away their sins. Now, the key word in this text, in this entire section, at least the first section, till we get to the doxology, and even then it still holds, is mystery. As I said, mysterios in the original Greek. A powerful image of something that really, in essence, is beyond understanding. It's one of those things where we simply have to trust. And Paul is, in essence, saying that to the Roman Christians. You have to trust me here. You have to actually, more importantly, trust God here that this mystery is appropriate. And not only is it appropriate, but it's also a powerful part of God's will. We're getting into some deep theological thinking here when we begin to understand and consider where the power of God's covenant with Israel intersects with grace. Now, if you haven't read that section, even while I'm talking here, read it again slowly for yourself. See what it says about Israel's place on this panorama of God's love and God's election for his people. It's a powerful, powerful image. And we see that in this section, God's election has this big purpose. And a big purpose is certainly to bring those who are his own to himself through the grace that we know in Jesus Christ. But we get opened up here to election on even a grander scale. That God hardened some. He hardened the Jews. That's what the text says. He hardened the Jews in their understanding so that his relationship of love would go to all, right? All the Gentiles received it because God stepped outside of his people and then opened up his grace through Jesus Christ to all. And if you think about that long and hard, your head will hurt. At least mine does sometimes. Because then I look at what the story of Israel is, and I see in places where God has hardened his people, and I see in places, especially when we look at the history of Israel during the time of the kings and during the times when they worshipped other gods and where they stepped out of faithfulness to God, that God was active in that, hardening them for the purpose of hundreds, even thousands of years later, opening up his love to all the world. That God had a plan and a purpose there that his love and grace would go bigger than the Jews, even while he was interacting with just them as his chosen people. Big thought. And then we see the power of that covenant of God with his people in verse 27 when it says this. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. In essence, God is saying, I made promises to my people. I keep my promises always, even when they don't get it or deserve it. I will save my people from their sin, even though they missed me completely. What I'm positing for your consideration this morning 
is that God says, because of my covenant of the Old Testament, because my covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Joshua and David and the kings, all the kings and all the prophets, that my covenant is big enough with my people, the Jews, that even though they miss Jesus... I will save them from their sins. Now, for us, we hear that, and I know what some of you are immediately thinking. There is no other way to God except through Jesus. And I believe that, certainly do. But we have some thinking here that Paul is giving us that challenges us to understand more about what the place of the Jews is in this panorama of faith. And then it gets more complicated because we get to verse 28. And from there it says, As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience. So they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Read verses 28 and 29 again. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. What do we do with a verse like that? What do we do with that? Jews are an enemy to the gospel. They don't confess Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. Good news is that Christ came to relieve you and I from our sin. And the Jews are an enemy to that. Why? Because they don't acknowledge Christ as the Messiah. And yet, Paul here in Romans is, is submitting to us that, but there's still a place in God's kingdom for the Jews. Now understand here, even as I say this, I'm uncomfortable with it. And I'm struggling with it and I'm trying to figure it out because I know that some of you are saying pastor is saying that there's another way to Jesus except through grace and I'm not sure yet how I feel about that because for the Jews God is saying something unique and specific not for the rest of the world And I'm not even sure if this is a message for today's Jews or if it is simply for the Old Testament Jews that God made his covenant with and his covenant is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so those are the folks to whom this applies. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But it certainly gives me pause to wonder, how does God interact now with the Jews of whom he's speaking He's describing people who live counter to the gospel as part of his family. Now they're part of his family. How? Through generational faith, the faith of the patriarchs, on account of the patriarchs. And they receive that membership because of gifts, God's gifts and calling. And what does the text say? It says those are irrevocable. Even if they have fallen away. Even if they have chosen not to follow God, God's gifts and his calling upon them are irrevocable. And again, this is all stuff 
that I'm somewhat uncomfortable with. It's challenging to consider and wonder about. And this certainly has to deepen our understanding of God's mercy. And frankly, that's the point. That's the point of all of this stuff that is the mystery that Paul is describing. And that is, we need to understand that God's mercy is broader and wider than what we might think it is. We might think it is this, but God is saying, no, it's bigger than that. Because my calling and my gifts are irrevocable. And it's my thing. It's my decision. It's my time. It's my energy. It's my plan. Not yours. And because it's my plan, it's broader and wider than what it is that you, how you would quantify it. Because the Jews lived in a diso- into disobedience by rejecting Jesus, God's love was expanded to include the disobedient Gentiles. Remember, we just said that because of the mistake, because of the foolishness of the Jews, God's love was expanded to include the Gentiles, the rest of us. That's the blessing that we know. But God says, even within that, the Jews, who are his covenant people, God's love was uh, that the Jews' disobedience, that disobedience now receives the same mercy that you and I received while we were still in our sin. Is anyone else really challenged by this? And was it just me? Is this uncomfortable? It is uncomfortable for me. And there's sometimes when I dislike reading Paul, because Paul does that regularly. He makes us uncomfortable. But the point that Paul is making here is that God's mercy, his love for for his people, as he defines it, not us, is bigger, wider, broader than what we can imagine. And he used the disobedience of some to open up to the rest of the world his love and his grace offered now to the Gentiles. But he says, that doesn't mean that I don't love my people anymore. It doesn't mean that I don't extend mercy to my people anymore. I still do. Why? Because they're my people. And it's according to my plan. And my purpose. The whole point of this thing is to say this. God wants a relationship of mercy with his people. Because he knows we need him. And whoever that people is. Whoever those people that he is defined here. It's a relationship of grace through Jesus Christ to the Gentiles and to the rest of the world. It is a relationship of covenant and promise to the Jews whom God has called his chosen people. But in each case, in every case, in all cases, it is ultimately that God says, you don't deserve it, but I give it to you nonetheless freely and according to my plan and purpose. God wants a relationship of mercy. Why do you think we have the whole Old Testament? Well, there's a lot of reasons. And we're not going to go into all the reasons this morning. But we certainly see over and over and over again in the Old Testament that God gives opportunity for his people to engage in relationship with him. To offer him worship. To, be, uh, to serve the poor. 
to give unto those who have need, to welcome the alien within his, in their gates, all the things that he calls them to do. He gives them opportunity over and over and over again, and they don't get it. They don't get it. In some ways, what we have in the first two-thirds of the Bible is we have a primer that reminds us, guess what? No matter how long, no matter how good, no matter how much perfection you will seek, you can't do it. You and I need God's mercy. You and I constantly need to be reminded that we can't pull it off. We're not capable. We might think we're getting close, but then we are reminded that David, a man after God's own heart, messed it up constantly and needed God's mercy. That we are reminded Moses, called of God to lead his people out of slavery and into the promised land, messed it up so much that he wasn't even welcome into the promised land. He needed God to come into him, to lead him, to love him, to forgive him. The story after story after story in the Old Testament of people who desperately needed God's mercy. And that's the message for us. That's the message for us today. We can't pull it off. We can't keep it together. We can't get it right. We desperately need the mercy of God. And I'll be honest. I am really, really glad that after all this stuff that messes with my head, Paul gives us verses 33 through 36. Because that says this. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. When my head begins to hurt, and it often does for various reasons, I can go to these verses and be reminded that no matter how much I don't get it, no matter how much I mess it up, no matter how much, even as a student of the text, someone who opens this regularly to try to get understanding and gain insight, I still mess it up because God is God. And he's ridiculously amazing and incredible and vast and enormous. And I'm never going to get it. And I'm never, even if I spend years and years digging into some of the stuff that I might be passionate about, about theology or the scriptures, that I'm not going to be able to get that last handhold that pulls me up to the top. Why? Because I am thinking about, I am considering, I am studying, I am wondering about the greatest being in the universe 
universe that it has ever known. It's not in the, God is not in the universe. He's outside the universe. The universe is in him. Think about that for a moment, and that's another head-hurting thing. And you consider that and are reminded, I'm never going to be able to understand that. Good grief. I don't know how an internal combustion engine works. How am I going to figure out the one who has knit together black holes, galaxies, and you people and me who are messed up and weird and goofy and mess it up constantly? How in the world am I ever going to grasp that kind of God? I'm not going to. Paul reminds me that. And this God who I don't get nor understand shows mercy to his people, in his way, in his time, in his places. And for me to question how he shows that mercy, where he shows it, to whom he shows it, being eyes my arrogance, being eyes my foolishness, and reminds me that even in considering that, I'm getting it wrong. Because God is God. And I'm not. Paul digs into these verses from Isaiah and Job to remind us that no matter how challenging things are to understand, no matter how much we don't get it, no matter how big our questions are, God is bigger and wiser and more just and more generous and more loving and more and more and more, and more. No matter what circumstances you and I are experiencing, no matter where we are, no matter what problems we face, the God we believe in, the Father of Jesus Christ by which we know grace, is bigger than those questions, concerns, fears, is bigger than them. And not only is he bigger than them, but he extends that bigness of his love where he wants to. And then he calls me to do the same. He's got this. And more importantly, he's got us, loving us every step of the way. I don't care if you're five minutes from bankruptcy. I don't care if you are in the midst of addiction. I don't care if your marriage is broken. I don't care if your kids have walked away from God. None of those things are too big for the loving God who shows his mercy when and will. He simply calls us to trust that he's got us. He's got us. This big God who has a plan for us and a plan for the Jews. So what? A lot of stuff here. Hopefully your mind is hurting like mine is. Well, first of all, God has a mysterious relationship with the Jews, and it's marked by covenant, and it's marked by mercy. We need to acknowledge that. We need to acknowledge that God has a unique plan and purpose for the Jewish people. Again, we don't know. Is that pre-Jesus? Is it present day? Is it those who live in obedience to what God's calling was? Obedience to the law? And then they, I don't get it. I don't know. I will simply say that right now. I do not understand God's unique relationship with the Jews. 
I don't. But I do know this. Because the Jews were disobedient, we know grace. Because of what they did in unfaithfulness to God, God expanded his love, his people, his definition of his people to those who will know God through the grace of Jesus Christ. And that's pretty awesome. I can lament the unfaithfulness of the Jews that they have walked away from God, many of them, by not acknowledging Jesus. But I need to celebrate that in the same breath for the simple reason that because of it, I can know the grace of Jesus Christ. And you can too. That's why we do know the grace, because of the disobedience of the Jews. We also know that God is not done with the Jews yet, but we don't understand how all of that works. I don't know what revelation means and the end times mean when it comes to the people of Israel. I don't understand that. People keep on asking me to preach revelation, and it terrifies me for some of that reason. I I don't know that my understanding can grasp that some of that. In fact, I know it can't. Why? Because of what it says is in verse says in verse 36 through 38. And finally, we do know that God does understand his plan. Not only does he understand his plan, but he's active in it always. He's God and he loves us and we can trust that his plan is amazing. I have every reason to believe that when we enter into God's presence in glory, the trumpet sounds, and God says, you are my people, welcomes us into his reward, that there will be parts of his plan and his covenant with the people of Israel, the Jews, and his covenant and his plan with me through the grace of Jesus Christ and with us through that same grace. And all those questions that I have, the lack of understanding that I have now, will be just like, Uh, duh, why didn't I see that? Why didn't I grasp that? Well, I didn't grasp that, why? Because I'm not God, and he is. When we enter into God's presence, we won't be alone, we know that, that there will be this new gathering of God's people when we enter into God's presence at glory. And like I've said many times before, we will be surprised by who's there, and we will be surprised by who's not. We will be, I think, flabbergasted at times to see who we're walking down the cobblestone streets paved with gold. I I think we will look to our right and to our left and go, whoa, How did you get here? And they'll look at us and say the same thing. But I do know that if there were a question asked of every single person in heaven, that the answer would always be the same. And that question is simply is this. Why are you here? Why are you here? And the answer is very simple. Two words, because God, that's it. 
Why are you here, Jewish man, Jewish woman, Jewish child? Because God. God showed mercy. God showed me love when I didn't deserve it. I was broken. I was messed up. God showed me love in his covenant to me. Why are you here, Christian? Because God. God showed me his love. God showed me his son Jesus and extended to me, not through my own ability or capacity or work or perfection, but through the grace of Jesus Christ. That's why I'm here. I think for us to constantly remember that idea, that answer. Because the problem is, is that we live in a world oftentimes that looks at Christians, looks at people of God's family, and sees in us arrogance. Sees in us the pride that we get to be a part of God's family. That we know the experience of God's love and God's power and we live into that with a sense of privilege instead of humility. For us to constantly be reminded in our interactions with the world and the people around us who we long to know the grace of Jesus Christ that is offered to them as a Gentile in this panorama of God's love. For us to live into because God. Why are you capable of living in joy through the trials of this life? Because God. Why are you capable? How can you deal with bad news on the news, the radio, the television, on the internet constantly? How can you deal with the brokenness in your family? How can you deal with the illness that you and your family are walking through? How can you deal with the difficult children that you have and are called to lead and parent and love? How can you face a marriage going through trial? How can you deal with a business that isn't doing well and you don't have enough? How can you deal with the hunger in your belly or the lack of roof over your head? How can you deal with the trials, the challenges, the hopelessness of this world if we think about it long enough? And the answer is very simply, because God. Because God. I'm going to read it one more time. Because I want you to hear this as God speaks it to you. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Living God, hope of the world who is offered to your people a relationship of mercy, and we know it through the grace of Jesus Christ. 
And we know that you offer it to Israel in your unique way, with your mercy, your promises, your love. And we don't understand it, we don't grasp it, we don't, we don't get it, but we trust that you who are beyond our understanding, you who hold all mysteries in your hand, you who, in your love, loved us while we were still sinners, showed us mercy, want to extend that mercy to whomever you will, that we can trust that, that we can trust you, and know, Father, that your plan is greater than what we can ever imagine or understand. And yes, it includes the grace of Christ for those who know that grace. And it does include Israel in a unique way, Lord, according to your plan, we trust that that is a good and amazing plan and it's for your glory. And let that be enough for us. We pray these things all in that powerful name of Jesus that we know. Amen.